0: and welcome to a voice for the voiceless a podcast about endangered species i'm your host jenny sisler and i'm coming to you from a rather dry sort of sunderland massachusetts on monday september 26 2022 at five forty-one p.m um the weather isn't hasn't been as bad as it was last week but when I was driving home, there was just this one patch of sky that was actually kind of over immersed where my husband works that just looked like the whole bottom was going to fall out. I think it must have rained here before I got home, but it's not been anything like the monsoon weather that we've had the past couple days. So that's really a relief. Um, it is finally colder. Uh, last week's uh, weather that I mentioned in the podcast it's like it went from summer to late fall overnight um which i think has given me me and bill both the cold um but if As long as we don't get too much uh, bad weather from the leftovers from Hurricane Ian or whichever, is it Hurricane Ian? Yes, I believe it is. As long as we don't get too many of the remnants of that hurricane that's supposed to hit Florida on Thursday, we should be okay for the foreseeable future for weather, which I hope so because I want to get back to riding. I was supposed to have a lesson on Saturday, but my instructor got COVID, so no riding until next week. And then after that, no writing until football season is over, or well, not over, but until the month of October is over because all our home games uh, are in the month of October, which is crazy to believe that's coming up. Um, but before we get started with tonight's episode, I do want to give a shout out to a lovely young lady named Arya who lives in the Midwest with her family. Um, Her mother and I have followed each other on Facebook for a while, and she said that they would be listening. So, Aria, love you. Hope everything's going well, and thank you for listening. And Keisha, if there's any feedback whatsoever that you have, um, please leave it for me on Facebook or DM me, because I'm always looking for ways to improve my uh, podcasting skills, i feel like with this being the 11th episode i'm finally coming into my own voice a little bit um i just want this to be like a conversation about endangered species Uh, i do want it to have structure uh, but i don't want it to sound like i'm just reading out of a textbook you know i want it to sound like it's just more of me putting information out there for whoever wants to listen Uh, That being said, the structure I think I've come up with that works pretty well is introducing the species that I'm going to talk about, then talking about why it's endangered and what's being done to help. So I always try to uh, put my notes in that order, and my notebook is falling apart. But we're going to see how this goes tonight. Um, And honestly, the subject of tonight's episode basically... It was a no-brainer because last week, on Thursday, the uh, 22nd, it was World Rhino Day. So I was like, well, there you go. There's my podcast for Monday. Uh, More specifically, the East African Black Rhinoceros. Uh, Most every rhinoceros species, including the Asian ones, are either threatened or endangered. Uh, But the Black Rhinoceros sadly gets the worst of it. Um, And... The black rhinoceros is, they are in East Africa. They are found, well, East and Southern Africa. They are found in uh, Namibia, Kenya, Tanzania, Zimbabwe, and South Africa. So that's quite a large swath of land to cover, um, but they do not live any further any further west than that in the western part of africa is the white rhino which is also endangered and ironically enough there's no color difference between the black and the white Um, nobody really knows how the black rhinoceros got its name um, except maybe because the rhinoceros in order to protect itself from bugs and sunburn will wallow in the mud maybe somebody saw it when it saw one when it was covered with mud and it looked black so that's where it got the name Um, But that's not really how you tell the difference between a black and a white rhinoceros. The way you do that is look at its face. The black rhinoceros has a prehensile upper lip that it uses to strip vegetation off branches and shrubs. Um, Whereas the white rhinoceros eats like a horse, head down eating grass. They don't eat vegetation off of anything. They just eat grass. So they, they eat like a horse, whereas a black rhinoceros eats kind of like a giraffe, a short squat giraffe with a horn on its face. So that's the real species difference. It doesn't really have anything to do with the color. Um, and rhinos are one of the oldest uh, species of mammals on the planet. So that puts them kind of in the same category as crocodiles and alligators and reptiles like that, with being considered living fossils because they've been around for millions of years, or they were until humans showed up and ruined everything for them. But that's that's we're, we'll get to that point in a moment. Um, the black rhinos can weigh up to three thousand pounds, and they have two prominent horns, and the the largest of the two can be up to twenty-two inches long. Uh, which is where they get their scientific name and i think it's hilarious because their scientific name is deceros biscornis well those words both mean two horned but deceros is greek and biscornis is latin so not to mess around with song lyrics but i guess the horns were so nice they named them twice right so that's where they get their latin name is because they have these two horns um they tend to be solitary, except when females have reproduced and are raising their offspring. Uh, they have babies only once every two and a half to five years. So again, like I mentioned in previous episodes with uh, different creatures that have very slow reproduction rates, that is a, is a, that's a nail in the coffin for it as far as being endangered is because they cannot reproduce fast enough to repopulate the species when humans kill them. Um, And the babies will live with the mother for three years. And then of course they're independent and go off on their own. Um, The rhinoceros feeds at dusk and they have an extremely sharp sense of smell and hearing which have evolved to help them sense predators. Um, And the interesting dichotomy between the use of the horns is that females use their horns to defend their young the females will not defend themselves with their horns like the males will the males if they're backed into a corner they will they will go for it with their horns in self-defense but the females only use their horns to protect their young which you know that makes sense i think every female of the species of any kind of animal including humans is going to be a lot more likely to put herself in harm's way to protect her child than she would for herself. So that's, uh, that makes perfect sense to me. And for the black rhino, there are uh, four subspecies. There's the southern central black rhino, the eastern black rhino, the southwestern black rhino, and the western black rhino, which sadly, the western black rhino was extinct as of 2011, so... It's already too late for those poor rhinos, but the other three species are considered critically endangered. Um, Like I mentioned, they're found in Kenya, Tanzania, Namibia, South Africa, and Zimbabwe. Um, They can run at speeds up to 35 miles an hour, and I cannot picture that because as ungainly as a rhinoceros looks, I can't imagine. It reminds me, honestly, of in a football game when the defensive tackle makes the interception and then he's running to make the touchdown and nearly passes out when he gets to the end zone I mean I just can't picture an animal that big being able to move that fast but they can run up to 35 miles per hour and they live between 30 and 35 years in the wild and they can live up to 45 or more years in captivity Um, and this I found very interesting because it just shows how symbiotic nature is and how it's all connected and we we have to uh, consider that when we're trying to do our part to protect the planet um the black rhinos have a symbiotic relationship with a bird called a red-billed oxpecker and it eats the fleas and ticks off of rhino hides so it's believed that they the oxpeckers can give uh like almost an alarm call to the rhinos telling them there's trouble in the area get out now hide while you can and the rhinos because of course the oxpecker wants to protect its food source and if a rhino dies where is it going to get the parasites and the fleas and ticks that it eats off of them and of course the rhinos they've listened they know that means danger and they can get away and in one scientific study that I read about online 40 to 50 percent of the rhinos observed were protected by the oxpeckers and were able to, you know, seek shelter and hide themselves when they knew that uh, predators were in the area, basically meaning humans. So the, um, the threat to black rhinos originally was hunting. Because when the French and English and Belgians, you know, the whole group of colonists were Uh, first arrived in East Africa they considered the rhino to be pests and I suppose if you think about it if they were trying to start farms and these big bumbling animals were coming stumbling through their crops and trampling everything yeah they probably did seem to be a pest but what were the colonists what was their solution just kill them all well they originally were on the verge of extinction long ago because of hunting but their numbers were able to rebound And now poaching, which is still hunting, but it seems to me that it has almost a more sinister side to it when you know why these animals are being poached. Um, They're being poached to be used only for their horns. Uh, Dead rhinoceros is not, you know, they, they kill the rhinos and chop their horns off to sell them on the Asian black market for traditional Asian medicine. Um, which is primarily used in China and Vietnam and it's used to cure cure in massive air quotes if I was on a YouTube video right now my air quotes would be generating their own electrical field here but um, they're used to quote-unquote cure uh, many different kinds of illnesses which one of which is impotence well As I mentioned, or maybe I didn't, I can't can't remember what I said five minutes ago, but the horn is basically a giant fingernail. They're made out of keratin fibers. So a two foot long fingernail is not going to cure these issues for men, nor is it going to cure diabetes or help with blood pressure or all the other different reasons why the the powdered rhino horns are used as so-called medicine. Um... And the sad thing is is that poaching is such a lucrative business in so many parts of Africa because political instability has created massive amounts of poverty over the years. And, you know, it's easy to be angry at the poachers and it's easy to be angry at the people. But I choose to direct my anger more at the governments that create these kind of situations where the only way you feel you can take care of your family is if you kill a rhino and chop its horn off and sell it to somebody who's going to ship it to Asia. I mean, you could probably feed your family for a year off what you could make off a rhino horn or two. Meanwhile, you're barely scraping by if you use legitimate means of trying to provide for your family. So I'm really more angry at the government's because the political instability creates this poverty that it's almost, on some level I can see that people would probably feel it was almost impossible to get out from under. So that's why part of conservation in general should be helping Indigenous populations find alternative income sources. Um, One example of that, and I don't remember if I've spoken of it before on this podcast, I don't think I have, but all of you have heard me speak before of Stephanie Powers and the William Holden Wildlife Foundation. While part of the outreach that she was doing when she was in Africa earlier in the year, uh, back in May, was she was meeting with women of the Samburu tribe to help them establish a cottage, a cottage industry by which they could sell jewelry and help uh, raise their tribe out of poverty. Um, long story short the samburu uh tribes women are fantastic bead they do fantastic bead work um the maasai they're the samburu are an offshoot of the maasai tribe and bead work is one of their primary distinctions if you've ever seen one of those beautiful maasai warriors on a national geographic special or whatever they wear the most beautiful beaded ornate uh robes and things and so stephanie was helping them create a cottage industry i don't know i never heard back um she never shared with her fans whether or not that actually got off the ground but that was something she was working on and that kind of thing is the way you counteract the 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 negative effects of poaching because absolutely nothing good comes of poaching poachers are very violent They attack people who try to stop them. Um, Of course, it drives animals to extinction. So part of a good conservation program should include alternative income sources for indigenous people. But I didn't mean to get off on that rant. So um, the sad thing is, is that because of poaching, there was a 21% increase in the number of rhinos that were killed in 2014 than in the previous year. And as of 2018, the last time there was a census taken, there were roughly uh, estimated to be 5,500 rhinos, black rhinos left in the wild. So uh, there have been multiple uh, conservation efforts. Now, the International Rhino Foundation is a worldwide um, organization that was founded in 1993 and they tend to work more with the Asian rhinos because in Indonesia they have the rhino protection units, they've created a Sumatran rhino sanctuary, and the Javan Rhino Conservation Area. And then in India, they have helped the government put together a rhino conservation program. Uh, The work that they have done in Zimbabwe, they have created a conservation program, and in Southern Africa, they have created a program called Stop Operation Stop Rhino Poaching. Um, so they have done some work in Africa, but they're overall more um, focused on the Asian rhinos. Um, and the International Rhino Foundation also provides grants for conservation and captive breeding programs. Um, but the one, the one group that has done the most work in Africa is the world wildlife fund now i have a bit of a problem with them only because i have read some things out of africa and especially out of northern kenya that indicate that the world wildlife fund has sponsored and worked with ngos which are non-governmental organizations that have participated in what's called fortress conservation which is basically First world white folks showing up in developing countries and saying, you can't do it that way, you have to do it our way, and basically targeting indigenous populations, um, assaulting women and children, killing men, uh, burning villages to the ground. So if it's true that the World Wildlife Fund has been involved in certain things like this, then I've lost a lot of respect for them. But they do, they have done good work. know they've been around decades i remember when i was in seventh or eighth grade i had the world wildlife Fund panda sticker in my locker you know so they've been around a long time um i'm not sure that their methods have always been sound but that is actually something i'm going to write about on my blog um as soon as i can stomach finish finishing doing the research but in spite of that uh, the World Wildlife Fund has been working for a while in Namibia, Kenya, and South Africa. And primarily their mission is to address the concept of habitat loss by relocating the rhinos to areas that, where they can be free and have more space. Um, in Namibia, they're leading a group of non-governmental organizations to enforce wildlife trafficking laws which is sometimes where the fortress conservation can come into it. Um, And then in Kenya, they're supporting the Kenyan Wildlife Service Forensic Lab Database. And I actually read about this last year. I can't remember. Oh, I remember what it was. I was doing an endangered species cross-stitch project, which I got sidetracked from and need to get back to. But I was researching the animals as I cross-stitched them, and I did cross-stitch a black rhinoceros and uh, back last summer I learned about this. Uh, The Kenyan Wildlife Services have created a a DNA database of the rhinos that they can tag and study and it analyzes DNA in criminal poaching cases so that if they have to, they can connect a disembodied horn to the body of a dead rhinoceros for the purposes of doing the census, knowing how many are still out there, and also prosecuting poachers. Um, And in South Africa, they are working to train law enforcement agencies on how to stop poaching. So it really is a very nuanced situation. Um, There's a lot of working parts that go into any conservation program, a lot of different things. There's a lot of... You know, there's a a lot of parts that have to come together to save these animals. You have to also be very aware of the reasons why people are killing these animals. You have to be willing to work to educate people on why they shouldn't. And you have to be willing to work within the government to help alleviate the poverty and the circumstances that make poaching attractive to some people. And, you know, some people are just mean. You're never going to get rid of the mean jerks in the world. Um, but if you can train people to s- how, how to appropriately stand up to the jerks, then um, you can help protect these animals. And it's definitely worth it. I mean, I cannot imagine. I want to go to Kenya in a couple of years, and I can't imagine East Africa without rhinos. It would be about like trying to imagine East Africa without lions. elephants. It just, it would not be Africa without these beautiful creatures and they're definitely worth protecting. So I'm going to leave this episode here for the time being. I've already talked for 21, almost 22 minutes. um, So